Today's unreasonable human had humble beginnings as a bedroom DJ playing a sound that wasn't mainstream. He stayed true to the sound and bit by bit he built a stellar career as the host of one of South Africa's top electronic music shows, Selective Styles, founder of the house record label Stay True Sounds, and most recently as the director of A&R for the iconic UK-based record label Defected Records. His name is Kid Funk. Hi, Al. Hello, Erica. Hello. Um, Alan, or Kid Funk, as you're more professionally known. Um, Alan and I go way back, and I'm going to make sure that I don't get too excited on the call, so I'm going to keep my voice stable. I'm going to try my best. Um, but, Al, I mean, we, we've done this before. We recorded this show a few months ago, actually, and the sound was shit. So we're re-recording, and um, I think that it's a good idea because I think it was such a great conversation, and I wanted to really like make sure the quality was as good as possible so that people can hear your story because it's so rad because um, you have a very unreasonable story in such a great way. And I think many people can relate to uh, where you've come from, and I'm sure would love to know how you got there and just like know more about you. So welcome to the show, Mr. Kid Funk. Thank you very much. Good to be back. Um, yeah, I, I suppose, you, like I, you said, you and I have got a long history. I think you've seen more than most, you've really seen my journey. Um, I'm still on yeah. it. I don't really feel like it's 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 complete or it's going to be ending anytime soon. Um, mm. But yeah, it's been, I mean, for lack of, of better words, it's been fucking mad. This has really been an insane journey, yeah. Yeah, and, well, I don't um, know if many people know your journey, Al. I, I'd love to know. I'd love us to start from like where I just love humble beginnings because I feel like that is like when people have humble beginnings, when they get to where they are now, like with you being label manager of Defected Records, is um, such an achievement. Like, how do you do that? So. Let's start from your humble beginnings because I love them. Where did you start, Al? Um, we don't have too much time, but let, let's start at the beginning with me and music. And it essentially was me and my father. I mean, I was brought up in a house filled with, with music. My father loved music in all its forms and loved um, playing music and shared it with, with myself, my sister, my mother. He used to make mixtapes, which is essentially, you know, was so inspiring to me just being able, he, he would like put a song after a song and then he would play it in the car and then overthink it and then reorganize the the, the order. And that makes so much sense. You know, sequencing a record is, makes so much sense. Sequencing a mix makes so much sense. Yeah. You know, telling a story. And um, I just really, like I was really rubbish at school. Like I, I had no concentration span for anything academic. I'd, I'd, all I wanted to do was play records and play weird and wonderful records and play the music I was into. And, mm -hmm. and uh, unapolog unapologetically, that's what I've done for, for many, many years. But it, it kind of really started there. And I remember quite clearly going into Florida in Rudderport in Johannesburg, in South Africa. They had a, a, a library we used to frequent. And I remember 
the, the only book that really interested me was one on DJing. And that was before DJing was DJing. I was so young. It was about being a disc jockey or being a radio DJ, rather. Wow. And that wow. was like super, super interesting to me. And um, I've kind of followed that path, but I've really taken the long-ass way about it in comparison to other people. It has really been like step by step by step and and really forcing my way into uncomfortable positions, um, which I've continued to do. And um, from from being in a house full of music, I landed up going to Riddleport College, which was a college kind of for all the outcasts in, in Riddleport. And, you know, my wife to this day, her mother told her, never marry someone from Riddleport College or never hook up with someone. And and she landed up marrying me. But that was the kind of reputation that we had. And um, what what happened in Rudderport High School was I learned about DJing because we used to have five days a week and every single day of the week there would be a different genre of music. And all my mates were DJing. We weren't DJing. We were pr playing press. We were pressing play on a CDJ and lifting up the fader and letting another track start when another one ended. That was it. That was what we were doing. But it was the beginning of that for me. It was the beginning of trying to curate an hour's worth of music. Yeah. Um, and I was the guy that was playing all the weird trip-hop, jungle, and hip-hop stuff during mm. lunch breaks. I was 17 at the time. Um, 16, 17. I'd probably say, yeah, between 15 and 17. Mm. And that was that was the start um, of me committing to putting time aside to put music into a, a structure, if you will. Well, um, I, feel like, I feel like that's actually really important because your dad was a selector, right? Yeah, yeah. he was. He's the original selector, and so he sort of gave you that knowledge of really like. Because that is that is really the key for DJing, right? When I first learned how to DJ and Brett Jackson was my like teacher, yeah. he would say to me, you, the most important thing is the song selection. Like that is the most important thing. So you're already then just by playing, like that is the essence really of DJing. Is like if you're a good curator of sound, you can be an amazing DJ. 100%. It's about picking the right tracks. I think anyone yeah. in the world that we live in today can be a DJ. And yeah. a lot of people are. Um, but not many people have much depth. And I think people can feel that. Um, and I also think, Al, you're... So, in South Africa, South Africa is a small country. So, you know, like, there's a, and there's a lot of DJs in South Africa. It's, you know, a very popular thing to do. So, you also, you have something in your personality like that is very you've got a lot of grit um and you have shown that you you need to, you you fought for things you know so I, I love the story about when you first so in college I don't know that if that's when you started working at the record store but I love the story about how you started working in a record store because this is where you set yourself apart from other DJs and other people because I think people assume that people in your position just got there by luck. Like, oh, you just so tell how you got, how you became. So my my the, the the steps were from from starting to DJ at Rudaput College and being really naughty and kind of starting my my 
lots of taking lots of drugs and just being like a really irresponsible naughty kid my my parents and myself decided to go to the uk well i just they decided to ship into the uk rather so that i could kind of figure things out um and that's when i started buying records i started buying music that i wanted to play because in south africa all the record stores house africa and all the likes they only had house music and i was playing weird music on you know moax and jazz fudge and ninja tune and and i wanted those records so i came to to brighton in the uk for a year and i, I managed to buy a box of those records and then came back to south africa and i started djing at tour six forced my way into tour six essentially uh, i had a friend who opened the doors and we would take all of our equipment there and dj with our records every single week now while this was happening i was working at a, a clothing store called guest clothing which was like the worst thing i could ever do ever but it i had to have a job of some i had to have a job full stop uh, if i was if i was gonna be not going to, to school or do it i had to work so i had this job at I guess clothing and all I ever wanted to do was have a job at a record store. Even when I was in Brighton, I tried to get a job at HMV or Virgin and they would never take me because I had no experience, but I could never get any experience because no one would ever have me. So there was, or yeah, there was a, a really big retailer in South Africa called Look and Listen. They were kind of like the top high end um, independent CD store um, for all of us. That's where I met you. And I really needed to get into look and listen so that I could start working in a music store. That was kind of like the next step for me. DJing was one thing, but I needed to be in the industry. And um, there was an opportunity, obviously, starting to DJ at Tour 6, people started to take notice of me, and a friend was like, listen, I work at look and listen, maybe I can get you in. And he tried to get me through the door, and there was no positions available except for one position, which was to be a security guard sitting on the second floor of the, the, the two-story CD retail store and look down at the other security guards who are stamping receipts at the exit. And that was my entry into retail. And I essentially sat upstairs in the evenings and watched security guards stamp receipts and make sure that there was nothing dodgy going on. Now, what happened was on the weekends, I would take my lunch break and I wouldn't actually go out for lunch. I'd go down onto the floor and I would chat to customers and I'd sell their music. And I landed up selling more Larry Heard CDs than any of the staff there had ever done or had taken any like um, initiative or, or, you know, any experience to go and sell. And I landed up doing that just because that's what I wanted to do. And then they started to take notice. And then I got a job working actually working and heading up i suppose the dance section back in the t in, in the day so now i was starting to balance having a residency at tour six every single tuesday which we actually flipped into us just going there and djing into actually getting a paid gig and mm -hmm. then working at look and listen uh part-time so now i had two sources of income doing what i wanted to do but as with me it's never enough and i needed to continue the hustle and, and continue pushing and and what happened was um, i made relationships with all of the people i was buying that, that were selling their music to to look and listen all the music i was selling I, I landed up making friends with the people distributing it in and i moved on to working at the cresta branch where i met you and i was kind of like the the, the head buyer for dance music and i used to buy for a few stores and it was it was cool, but it was never enough. You know, I, yeah. I think that's one thing with me is is like, where is it enough? 
And well, I'll just stop you there for a second mm. before you carry on telling that. Is the reason why it wasn't enough for you, and this is something that I saw when I first met you in that record shop or that music shop, was when somebody is completely passionate about something, when somebody has, like, lives something, it can't be enough. Like, this mm. is you. You live music, Al, and you always have, and you've always lived the music that the, the sounds that you have, like, always sold to people and you've shared with people. You share it not because you wanted to sell CDs. <laughs> you so, you did it because you genuinely wanted, like, that is what introduced me to, to, uh, to um, Acid Jazz was your passion for it you were like you weren't trying to sell me cds you were like listen to this it's amazing so that's where the difference is i think okay 100%. you can carry on it, it was always just about sharing because what i listen to is niche and what i what i love is niche but it, it's always like trying to and i suppose also that comes into having the radio show but it's it's always about sharing is exactly what you're saying and what happened was there was an opportunity to join one of these distribution companies and that was the next step for me, out of look and listen. Like, where do I go to next? And again, there was there was a little bit of a, a conflict because the guy that wanted to hire me didn't want to burn any bridges with look and listen because, you know, they, they bought a lot of music from him. So I said to him, listen, I, he kept asking, who's the right person for this job that I have? I was like, I know who the right person is. It's me. He's like, but I don't want to annoy look and listen because if I take you or poach you as, as one of their staff, then they, they might stop buying music from me or penalize me in some sort of way. And then it's just not going to work. So I thought about it. And the next day I found him and I said, how about I approach Look and Listen and I tell them that it was my idea, not yours. And he said, cool, if you want to do that, let's do it. And I, I managed to pluck up the courage, excuse me, and speak to the boss of Look and Listen, Howard. Howard Lazarus, I think, at the time. I mean, I was really young at the time. I was in the early twenties, and um, I, I, another big move. It was just terrifying for me to just pick up the phone and be like, "Listen, this is what I want to do. It was my idea. I'm asking for your advice. What do you think?" And he was like, "I don't think it's a good idea." And I was like, "I appreciate that, but I'm probably going to do it." And I did it. And I left. Look and listen. And I started distributing or being the sales rep rather for a distribution company in South Africa that distributed all the music I loved, everything. It was like heaven. Um, <laughs> and I would drive around mostly. I, I did Cape Town, Durban and Johannesburg. And I would drive with boxes of CDs and records and t-shirts from all the labels that I loved. I mean, from 18th Street Lounge to Ubiquity to Raw Fusion to uh, Compost Records to uh, Groove Attack, which was doing all the US hip-hop stuff, the the Doom stuff, the Metal Finger stuff, like everything I was into, from the hip-hop to the new jazz to the house we were doing. It was, it was a really, really great start for me to start to almost learn the, the, the industry a bit. And what mm -hmm. happened with that was I started going overseas quite often. I got a popcom in uh, Berlin and go to Midam in France and start doing distribution deals with a lot of labels that needed a uh, presence in South Africa. And while this was going on, um, I attracted the attention of Harel Salko, who is the owner of Soul Candy Records. Soul Candy Records 
one of the biggest house labels in on the continent of Africa, um, was Sugar Tracks. Harrell Salko bought the company. Uh, it became a very compilation-driven business, plus a record store, um, just like Ministry of Sound, just like Defected. And mm. I never really liked the records they were putting out. They never spoke to me, but Harrell really liked me. I was selling him records, and I would bump into him in, on these international trips, and he was always trying to find a way to get me to work for him. And I was just like, dude, you don't have the music that I'm into. It's that simple. You know, for me, I'm always into the music. And he was like, well, we'll make, we'll find the music. And there came a point where Harold made me an offer alongside one of my close friends, Sergio, who partnered with him. And I felt like it was the next step. And again, another big kind of leap of faith. I took I took the job offer and left Coast Music and this life of distributing all this cool music to become a sales rep, another sales rep for a, a record label. It was now a record label rather than a distribution company. And, and Soul Candy were essentially doing all of these compilations. I was a sales manager and I had a team behind me, but I was still on the road selling all of this music that I liked. I didn't mm. really love. I wasn't DJing it, but... I was good at it. We had a good uh, like relationship, working relationship. That carried on for a while. And um, I was starting to get interested in the record label side of things and knew nothing, like absolutely nothing. I knew that there were record labels. I didn't understand how you license something, what a 360 deal was. I didn't understand any of that. And what happened was I was working alongside Ricardo and Brett Jackson, who you mentioned earlier, who was your mentor. And, and Brett was the guy. Brett was like the, the the perfect, perfect person to be the label manager for Soul Candy Records. He was signing records. He was putting together compilations. He was DJing the music. He understood the space and he was house music. Mm. And unfortunately, he passed away um, from cancer while I was working alongside him or working with him on the sales side. And no one knew what was going to happen next. No one knew who the next person to run Soul Candy was going to be. And I never for a second thought it would be me, but Soul Candy uh, owner Harrell and Sergio approached me and were like, what do you think of being the new label manager for Soul Candy? And I was like, I don't know this music. I don't know the business. Um, they like how I work. They like me. Um, if there's any way for me to step into this world, now's the time. Yeah. And I decided to take another big step, and I did, and it was terrifying at first. I mean, I was having meetings with Euphonic and DJ Fresh and Ganyani and all these people who I knew were big deals in this space in South Africa. And when I say big deals, these guys have millions of followers, and they were selling hundreds and thousands of CDs. And now I was the central point of all of these compilations or all of these artist projects. And it was daunting. It was crazy. And... I didn't really feel very supported, but I was really thrown into the deep end and um, I, I learned the business. I was forced to learn the business. I was forced to be put into a very uncomfortable situation that I wanted to be in. Essentially, I wanted to learn the game and I learned. And um, three and a half years working at Soul Candy and understanding the business and, and creating a really good network in South Africa um the business started to lose money because physical was in a decline digital was taking off we had too many staff to support and essentially i was made redundant or retrenched if you living in south africa 
And I just signed uh, our bond, our mortgage for a new property that we had just uh, got. I'd been married to my wife for three and a half years. And as soon as I got redundant and signed the deal to our house, got news that I was going to be a father. And I was... <laughs> It was all a bit much. It was it was a bit fucking mad, to be honest. And um, I, I knew what I wanted to do. And I always knew that I was going to run my own record label, putting out the music that I love. Because at Soul Candy, it was a learning um, platform for me. It was definitely like a way to learn the business. But I wasn't putting out records I was like extremely passionate about. I yeah. think in, in, in my... Um, in the amount of years that I was there, I probably, you know, I would say like the things that I worked on that have become really big um, mm. and, and and because of my influence and my A&R would be Julian Gomes, without a doubt. You know, I picked up Love Song 28 in a room full of people that didn't think it was good enough. Um, I signed the first OK Malum Cool Cat record and, and put him on to a lot of things. Uh, Teleman, who's a really big R&B artist in South Africa, I was a part of. Muse art, and the list goes on. There was there was at least five or six artists that I really feel are big in the space now that I was behind back in the day. So there, there's there was definitely some success, but I didn't really feel like the label was mine, or I had yeah. carte blanche to release what I wanted. So when when I left Soul Candy or when I got retrenched, I was like, okay, it's time to open up a record label. And Julian and I were quite close, and he always said to me, "If you ever leave Soul Candy." we need to open a, up a record label. So I called him up and I was like, Julian, I've been retrenched. Let's do this. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and we opened up Stay True Sounds, um, which is now, it'll be 10 years next year. Holy moly. Yeah, crazy. And I, I went on this, I mean, I, I don't know what it was like being my wife, Lauren, because like, We've got a new child on the way. I'm throwing money into a record label that no one has any real idea of how big or small this is going to be. And then I got a phone call from 5FM, which is a South African national broadcaster. They were yeah. also doing a bit of a shuffle at the time. And um, everyone that I knew that was in the more commercial dance space yeah. was really excited about these, these doors that were opening and these opportunities that were possible for for any dj to have their own radio show i never once in my life thought that i was going to be a candidate and um i was literally I remember, sitting yeah I, was, I remember you contacting me and telling me that this was happening it was so funny because 5fm well 5fm needed you right 5fm uh needed to take a chance on somebody like you it was i think a um, a new a step in a new direction for Five FM. You know, I was really a, I was a big gamble then. Yeah, I was a proper proper gamble. They were very clear about that, and you know they'd done so many things by the book, and you know done chart shows and mix shows, and but there was never a specialist show. I think there were specialist shows, but there was nothing like what I had to offer. I don't think they even knew what I had to offer. I knew in my head what I was going to do. Doing things like deep house, take house, or the you know, like the minimal, like yes, there was space for that, but uh, the sound that you brought in was very, very unique 
to 5FM. It wasn't like, there was a few of us DJs on 5 who would play similar stuff, you know, like the late night dance music shows. So we'd, we'd play like the, the re- similar things a lot of the times. But your sound was very unique, I feel. Totally. I think I shocked a lot of people, a lot of listeners for the first two or three years without a doubt. And I, I always wanted to do that. I always wanted to stay true, as cliched as it sounds. Like I always just wanted to represent me as, as brave as I need to be. Um, I need to re- put on what really like, connects with, with me and my soul and, and fulfills me. And, you know, they, they told me when they called me up to do the show, they were like, you know, you are kind of going to be a bit of a risk for us, but we're willing to take the chance. And I was like, the only way I'm going to do this is if I can do it my way. And they were like, well, that's why we want you. So I was like, okay, fuck, thank God. And I did. But isn't this interesting, Al? Okay, so like I love looking at the deeper things in life. I love looking at why things happen in life. So you, all the steps that you've taken, like you have been in the right direction. And when you went to Soul Candy, even though the music wasn't the thing, like the music itself wasn't exactly your style of music. It was an important stepping stone because you learned so much about the industry and about record labels. And if you didn't have that, you probably wouldn't have known how to open Stay True Sounds, like how to launch um, yeah, exactly. And then you get retrenched. And it's almost like, you know, things in, in life happen for specific reasons. Like if you had not been retrenched, you would have stayed at Soul Candy. There wouldn't have been a reason for you. And then if with 5FM, when 5FM came along, if you had not stuck to your guns, if you had not like stayed true, which is the perfect, perfect name for your record label, if you'd not done that, there wouldn't have been that tie in, you know, there wouldn't have been like everything happens for a reason. You had to be so brave and so true to you to do that for 5FM because 5FM is like the national broadcaster. You don't have like the most, the most commercial radio station. Yes. Yes. Ever. ever. Taking someone that plays the weirdest shit. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm happy to say it. It is. I mean, if you compare it to what gets played, it, it's very foreign. But yeah. it was a breath of fresh air for people, mm-hmm. and I created a culture. And you know, I, I listened to radio. I listened to UK radio for many, many years, and I, I understood what a specialist show needed to sound like. I understood that you needed to play shit way before anyone else. You almost needed to break something, mm-hmm. and I understood that you needed to tell stories before records and break them you needed to break artists you need to showcase people and create culture and fortunately i i I took that mentality and ran with the show for six seven years it won best radio show best dance radio show um like four years in and it was like a cult like following even to this day people is, you know, they message me and they're like, when is Selective Star? We miss Selective Stars. Like, it, it was a really, really, really big moment. It was a beautiful thing to have. It felt like you had the whole of South Africa on a Sunday evening, like, alongside you. I would go in the studio, dim the lights, get into my bubble, get onto Twitter, and I would tweet each song as it plays. And 95% of the time, the music I was playing hadn't been released yet. So I was discovering music and showcasing it with the country and as i was playing the records 
the country would retweet and really get involved with the songs that they liked. And you could tell what was going to do well and what was, wasn't. And I think a lot of people, excluding myself, a lot of people and artists that are actually doing really big things at the moment benefited from selective styles. You know, FKA MASH, without a doubt. I mean, I could tell you some of the things that he's doing right now that are just insane. Some of the people he's working with, some of the people he's going to be opening for overseas. And and I signed his first record and I had him on the show numerous times because I loved his, his music. Dawson, CO, um, so many people I had on that show. There was just, oh, I, I, it's difficult to break down, you know. But it was a beautiful place for people to be introduced to records. And it really did happen like parallel Stay True Sounds opening as a record label in Selective Styles yeah. at the same time. So it really was this way to kind of like showcase and release music. Um, and it was a beautiful time. And, and you know, I, my... Don't. I also feel, I think that, you know, you built such a cult following and such a beautiful community there because... You know, people can smell bullshit a mile away. Yeah. And um, your show is very authentic. Like you, you because you were like so passionate about the music that you were playing and 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 releasing to people and releasing on the air, and so like such a supporter of these new producers and these new musicians, it people could feel that authenticity they could feel that something special was happening because you weren't doing it uh because like once again you weren't you didn't do this show because you wanted to become a popular radio D dj like that was not the reason you did the show you did the show because you wanted to share once again music that you love with other people and that is where that connection came in. And I think that's so beautiful. And it's an important thing for people to know. Like, that's why you're an unreasonable human. The, like, you, you did something that most people wouldn't have done. They would have, like, rather played the music that they know is popular uh, because... Uh, that's going to get more likes and people are going to make, you know, you're going to get popular in, you know, quotation marks, but you didn't do it that way. You were unreasonable and you were authentic and you were like, I'm going to show the music that I believe in. And I don't know, I believe in it. It might be a flop. It might not, but it wasn't like, because you well, created community, right? Yeah. Of like-minded. Yeah, you got to back yourself. You got to create. Um, if you're going to get into something that that is very unique and different, you you have to back yourself. I mean, it was me. You know me. Even I mean, you put my first compilation together, Salad Mundo. It was like so unconventional to any other mix CD that had ever been put out, and it it got like some really great reviews. And then you know, my head started popping up a little bit here and there. And I think that's it. It's it's just being. Um, like headstrong about what you believe in to the point that, you know, you're going to back it on national radio in front of a hundred, 200, 300,000 people and back announce it and cross your fingers and hope for the best. And that's generally what's happened in my life. It's just been that whole like fucking hell. What am I doing? Close my eyes. I know this is the right thing to do. And well, I know it's going to be hard. I remember my first link on radio. I was just like an absolute wreck. And 
uh, as you should be because you care, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, and it just got better and better and better. But um, I, so I do... would you say when you started on radio, would you say? And I probably know your answer, but I love people to know this because I think they fe- people think that when you get a radio show, you know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's I, I had no clue. I I couldn't. Let, I had a I had a desk driver, right? So that's someone that comes in and helps you, like figure out the board while you're on radio. And essentially, you should be in a studio by yourself. But I hung on to my desk driver for so long after like the date they were supposed to go because I just couldn't like manage to think how it would be being by myself. Yeah. But I did it. I did I it. And, yeah. and and then it got to the point where I could do it a lot. And I got, you know, got to the point of going there confidently and have like a, a band in front of you and you know what's going on, what buttons to press and how to conduct an interview. Um, but again, it's it's just all of these like really stepping out of your comfort zone and being really uncomfortable um, for progress and for for the story to continue. There's no way, uh, hands down, and the, this isn't, I suppose, yeah, it is, but it's the truth. Like there's no way a lot of people in South Africa and starting to go international would know about the artists that are backed um, without selective styles or statutory sounds. There's, there's no way. And sometimes I need to step out of everything I'm in because I'm in a lot in my head all the time. That's how things work. I'm constantly trying to hustle things together and get this guy there and work on this and do this. And that's just me and my ADHD. But sometimes mm. you need to step out of everything and actually look at what you've done and be like, okay, I actually have this together. Like I can do this. Yeah. And, um, well, because you're coming from a place of heart. You like <laughs> – I I, th- I thought about this the other day. I thought about like why is it that in some situations you get like completely burnt out and so stressed out, and then in other situations you're working so hard and you get energy from that. And I think it's because when you're doing something that's from the heart, and when, when you're doing something that is your purpose in a way, your calling, uh, you find you find the energy, you find the you just keep going because you don't want to. You, it's it's a purpose. It's like your yeah. your vocation, I guess. Like you, this is yeah. your vocation. It's so interesting. And when you see the rewards, like when you see these incredible artists, I mean, the people that you have, uh, I guess, launched into the world who are now doing such amazing things, that keeps you going, right? Like, how? Why would you want to stop? Why would you want to stop doing this? I don't even feel like I've got got to the surface of what I need to do. And I can just see it in front of me. I can see where these things are going to land. And I can see now that I have like the buy-in of Defected. And and today, in fact, we couldn't have done uh, an interview at a better time as like today was my first ever release or A&R record um, as as Alan Nickel, A&R Defected. Release. I have uh, Atmos Black, who's a 23-year-old South African um, producer from um, Soweto, who remixed The Cure and the Cause. And that's like an official release, and it got put out today. And it's getting a lot of attention. I was like, okay, well, like, yeah, it's happened. And that happened today. And I already have, like, the next couple that are coming on Defected, but it's taken time. It's taken time to get these things to happen. Sure. It's taken time. Yeah. Oh, you got to hear the remix. Albums. 
It was one of my first records that I ever bought. So you got to uh, check out. You got to check, check out the Atmos Black remix. It's just I can't wait to hear uh, it. I can't wait. Yeah. Amazing, Alan. It's so cool. I want to know. It's just like just so great to speak to somebody like you who's had such a um like just such an incredible career and you're still in it you're still like but what do you think the qualities that you have um what qualities do you have that you feel are the qualities necessary to get you to where you are like come from you know in most careers you can just sort of work your way up in a quite a logical chronological sort of way you study something you go into it you work your way from being a junior to a senior whatever but the entertainment industry is very fucking different the DJing industry is so different the radio industry I mean it's cutthroat and it's like yes it's got to do with luck it's got to do with timing and stuff but I also feel that there's got to be qualities in a human that gets you through like gets you to where you are and what do you think those qualities are that you have or that a, sh a person should have in the entertainment industry to first of all get be successful but also stay true to who they are not get overdriven by their ego because we know how the entertainment industry is what do you think those qualities are i think my my story and who i am is very very different to other djs and radio presenters to be honest And this isn't like, everyone's got their story and their purpose, right? I just think mine is quite different. Like, like I'm very attuned to being like a vessel or, or like a, I'm the guy that's going to put you onto the next thing or put you onto the next producer. That, that's always been my, my thing that I aspire to be. And I know I'm good at it. Um, some things take longer than most, but I'm that guy for the, for lack of a better like term, like the, the South African underground. Now, now, other guys, all they want to do is DJ and play popular tracks that works for them. And other people, you know, they just want to be on radio and do the same. Whereas I feel like mine is a, is a lot deeper and more personal. Um, how I get there and what, what makes me different, I just think, like, I'm so stubborn. Like, I know what I want. And, I, I, like, I'm quite competitive, even with myself. Um, And I've learned how to manage that and I've learned how to work with a team because now like I manage six or seven art, uh, sorry, six or seven uh, A&R um, managers and juniors at Defected. And we all listen to different music and we all have different labels that we need to contribute to. And I need to find the balance of managing that. Um, but I think more than anything, it's, it's about, for me, the wins are through other people. It's exactly like what you were saying earlier. So to have like CEO be on Times Square's wall, New York City, on a record that I put out and helped A&R and put together and put out. And there she is, Spotify, like Artist of the Month. I forget what the campaign was. Like that's a win for me. I'm like, fucking hell. I did that. And these, these are the things that are... are continue to enjoy and continue to want to like bring to this world yeah. there's so much talent in south africa and i'm like very very connected to what's going on in the underground scene and if there's going to be one person on the on the planet that's going to crack it overseas or, or open the doors it's going to be me and I, i always want to be that guy and yeah. 
you know, I was with Shimza yesterday, who's, if you don't know Shimza, he's like a very, very big DJ in South Africa, like over a million followers. He has his own events. He's got a show in London tonight. And we were just chatting and he was just like, it's so good that I'm here because he feels like South Africa is represented. And I just want to be that. I want to be that guy that connects 23-year-old Atmos Black to the cure and the cause and gets released undefected. I want to be that guy that does a lot of these similar type of things moving forward. And I am that guy, but I just I, I just want to see it expand to a point where the artists that I represent or the music that I, I fuck with starts to really get the attention that it deserves on a global level. So that's what drives me. That's that's essentially, yeah. I think it's just different. Different people are into it for different things. For me, it's there's always like I need to push more of what I'm doing. I'm there's nowhere near. I'm nowhere near done with what I need to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what keeps me going. That's what wakes me up in the morning. That's what's and. Yeah. I have a very busy brain and I have a lot of things on the go all the time. And I also think that's had a lot to do with why I am, where I am and what I'm doing. You know, I never once in my life ever thought that I would be at Defected, working at Defected. But, but now I'm the, the, the director of A&R for Defected. It's, it's, it's mad. It really is. But... I know through this, I'm going to achieve what I need to achieve and everything that we just spoke about. Yeah, so, and you know, and it must be so nice because now you're in a position that you can affect such change for people like, like Sia in South Africa. Like you can take these people and you actually can do it. You're in that position. You've built yourself up to a point where now you're of use. Now you're like, oh yeah, now it's like, I, I have a say here. Yeah. And that beautiful because we have got such incredible talent in South Africa. I mean, hello, we just won a Grammy. That's amazing. And, um, you know, like Black Coffee's also won a Grammy. I mean, it's so great. And now you can take these people. I love it. I love that you're doing that. And I love that you're keeping your connection to South Africa, that you've brought Stay True Sounds to an international uh, market. Now, I know you were in Last week, where did you play? You were in the... St. Lucia, yeah. Did a State Tree Sounds event in St. Lucia. Um, State Tree Sounds, I mean, obviously, uh, that, that's that's another, just my passion. And yeah. it is very, very South African heavy. And we are taking... I mean, it feels like... It's, it's just, just to step back a bit. So I'll be writing State Tree Sounds, writing Selective Styles. Um, and... Came, did like a European tour over six weeks at the end of COVID, bumped into Simon Dunmore, who I knew from Soul Candy. And Simon took a real liking to me, even though we had history. And I did ask him if I could have a job at Defected when I got retrenched at Soul Candy many, many years uh, before yeah. this. And he just took this real like liking to my hustle and everything. And he just kept talking to me and kept trying to figure out you know, me and what my aspirations for the label are. And, you know, for me, the, the big thing has always been to push statutory sounds out of South Africa. And then it, the discussions between Simon, who were, was the owner of Defected, started off with like, let's do a distribution deal with statutory sounds. And then I was like, I know Simon, this is not going to be distro. This is, he's going to want to buy in, which mm. essentially he, he offered. And then we went down that road. And while that was going on, 
he asked me if I'd like to join Defected, and I was like, fuck, this is like not something I had in mind because, you know, I'm kind of like at the peak in South Africa. My DJ career is really like doing well. I got a very well established record label. I got a great award winning radio show. And again, I was like, I have to take this big leap. I have to immigrate. I have to bring my wife and my son to the UK and I have to take these next steps, which I've done. And, and I've said this, you know, I've been here for a year now. And immigration is no joke, as you know. It's a yeah. big, big, big change. And yeah. um, I'm still here. And it's, it's, uh, I'm not going to lie, it's been hard. But mm-hmm. after a year of putting my head down and, and doing what I needed to do, and after taking my boss, Wes, uh, I, I, Simon left the business as I got here, and Wes is the CEO, he committed to coming to South Africa with me in, in November last year. And I took him on like a five-day trip of of it was such an important trip for so many reasons um but he finally got to see my world and he finally got to experience what house music is like for us in south africa and essentially that's opened up the doors to everything that i'm doing at the moment before i think everyone was really like not really on the same page you, you never really are when it comes yeah. to south african house music you need to you need to experience that too. I was going to say, until you go to South Africa and you experience South African house music, you have no, like, it is like a religion. So where's fortunately I could show him that we threw some parties. I took him everywhere. We went to like, see, you know, we went to Conquer and Soweto, went to Shims's place in Tembisa. We were in Lange in Cape Town. We did like met everyone from Sun Al Musician to Black Coffee to, you know, like, CEO, my whole camp, China Chameleon, FKA Mesh. And he just, for the first time, was like, okay, shit, I get it. I get it. And now he's really committed to making sure that South African house music doesn't get forgotten. Um, mm. Or even more so, that doesn't get exploited. Um, like the rest of the genres have, um, well, genres and dance music throughout the years. And um, I, I'm a real kind of anchor in all of that moving forward. And Sorry. Yeah, we've got a lot of exciting things happening. Yeah, so like you're the you're sort of like the gatekeeper. You can keep the integrity of this, which is so big and it's so important, right? Because I look at like like when I think about like a genres like I'm a piano, and I think about how I remember when I was DJing in Durban and going with the guys like Euphonic and all of them to go DJ in Durban. And I remember the Durban producers, that Durban house sound. That was the start of Ama Piano. Like, this was like 16 years ago. This is a long time ago. And I just think, like, the reason why it became what it did was because it kept its integrity. But in order to do that, you have to have people holding the integrity. But as soon as things go international, a lot of, a lot of the times it becomes diluted. It becomes, and you are that, like, the, the sort of, like, uh, I guess the quality controller. You know, you're going to be the one who's going to make sure that that sound, when people hear an international production that is like a collaboration, that sound is still in there, you know, that like that unique South African sound is really in there, which is pretty rad, Al. It's such a great place to be. Mad. It's mad. I mean, I, I, I had to let go of a lot of things that that I really love to be here, but I can see without a doubt 
that me being in this position and me being connected still to, to so much that's going on in South Africa, I can see what's going to happen in the next two to three years. I can see, you know, we're going to look back and, and see who's going to be the star that we all knew she was going to be, and it's going to be international. And we're going to have bigger, more South African presence on the roster. And, you know, I've got a label that's starting you know, on the 23rd of Feb that we've pretty much put together an Afro house label that's coming through defected. And we have like five or six releases in the bag from big, big players across the world. And I'm making it happen. I'm making it happen from this side. I'm bringing my agenda and bringing my flavor to defected. So yeah, it, again, it, I don't want to ever downplay this, but like this shit, most of it has been hard. But the wins are insane, and and that's why we keep doing it because like I've got work to do, and I've got people to represent, and I've got music to put out and to showcase, and you know I'm in I'm in the the rain and minus five degrees in London, but I know what I know what what purpose it serves, you know. Mm, I love that. I think we're gonna finish off there. I want to finish off with my unreasonable human questions, but I just want to say that. The things that I've noticed with you and that I love about your, um, I guess, your journey. Let's call it a journey out. <laughs> but, like, so you got this grit, the grit that, like, I think every South African has. The grit to keep going. You, like you say, are stubborn. When I, when I think, I don't think of stubborn, I think of grit. I think of, like, when you have grit, you're also stubborn because you know what you want and you don't stop you don't step back until you've got it you have this I don't know what the word is the quality but you want to share your passion you want to share what you love and by doing that you immediately promote other people you immediately bring out the best in other people and that's a really amazing quality to have and um yeah, you're driven. So I feel like all of those qualities, and then you're authentic. You you you've stayed true. You've stayed true to your sound. So those are all the things that I've seen, and I just um, and I think that it's important for people to know that like your journey hasn't been about luck. Your journey has been about like staying true to who you are and taking risks, like jump, like being brave, being brave, but keeping on like keeping on no matter what like taking the risks and going into the going into the places that you can't see like going into the unknown and doing it with a sense of courage which is amazing um yeah so let's finish off with my three unreasonable questions alan what's the most what's the most unreasonable gig you've ever had (laughs) do that (laughs) Oh, fuck. <laughs> hmm. oh gosh i remember now i think oh, I got, yeah i got booked to play vits vits is a university in johannesburg for like it was like the end of year gig and there were no cdjs in sight it was you only had to play records and i got a half an hour slot and it was like i knew the expectation it was like commercial songs and my like capacity for commercial songs on vinyl were quite limited, but I could play some deep house cuts that I were, were pretty, 
you know, familiar in a South African context, but I only had 30 minutes worth. And I played the 30 minutes and that's all I packed. And the, the act after me was late. So I started playing B-sides. I started flipping the records over to play the B-sides. And I remember clearly people in the crowd, like literally telling me they want the next DJ. You know what I mean? Like their hands in the air. I don't know how you say that, but they're just like next DJ, next, rotate, rotate, next DJ. That was a horrible moment um, because it was like 15 minutes and I was just playing, I couldn't play the same tracks. So I was playing shit I didn't even like just because I didn't have that many records. That was a big, big, big. Smart that you played the B-sides, yo. I mean, I think the first gig I ever played was also I had 30 minutes worth and that was it of records. I didn't think to play the B-sides. I was like, I'm out of here. I finished. That's all I got. Well, fortunately, you could. I, they were like, you have to stay until the next act gets here. It's like, oh, God. SA, SA. Good. Okay. My next unreasonable question is, what scares you, Al? Um, I think what scares me is just not being able to do what I do, to be honest. I think I'm in a very sweet spot right now, and it does really feel like quite the privilege to be at Defected and still like really pushing my agenda like I do. Um, the fear that I have that it might one day disappear um, because of, you know, it's a numbers game when you look at the music industry. And, you know, if you're not getting the numbers, what's the point for most of the majors? But I've never really played in that space. So I suppose that is the fear. But again, it is a fear, but there's a big but. I always seem to just keep going. So look, I'm, I'm going to continue anyway. I'm just in a, I'm, I'm in a very sweet spot. I really would love to see the music that I push so hard get to the levels that it needs to, to sustain itself as a proper, um, as a proper business just like all the other big players have. And um, yeah, I believe it will. It's yeah. time. Just patience time. and time. It's time. Time. Okay, my final question is, what is your definition of an unreasonable human? Um, to be stubborn, to have vision, um, uncompromising vision. Um passion and to f trust your gut look i mean it's such a tricky one because some of the situations that i put myself in really my gut was saying no like what the fuck are you doing and i think it's understanding when to trust your gut on things that aren't good for you and when to ignore your gut when you know that the next step is going to be like pretty difficult but it's going to work out anyway you yeah know? yes i love that it's so true yes yeah, yeah. Al, thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, I'm so glad we re-recorded. Likewise. We the, timing is, the timing is spot on. Yeah. We're going to have to do this like once a year just to see where you're going next. Amazing. I'm down. Okay. All we right. have a good recording. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you, Al. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, that's it for today's episode of Unreasonable Humans. Thanks so much for joining me. Please follow the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember that a great rating goes a very long way to support the show. Until the next one. Bye.